Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Vieta, Exodus chapter 6 through chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 35. Before I go into my spiel about what I'm talking about today and all the details we're discussing, are there any comments or questions you may have about this Torah portion? Uh, we've covered this many times over the years. There's nothing to be shocking here. We know the 10 plagues. They know them by heart. They're children's stories now. <laughs> any comments or questions you have about this Torah portion Things you, you have questions about? I may not cover them. I'm going to be focusing specifically upon uh, the, 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 the ideas are, of Pharaoh. Are we yes. having a pestilence now? Are we having a pestilence now? You have to explain what you mean by that question. COVID. Oh, COVID. Ah. So uh, that is covered in a different portion of our Tanakh when it comes to God sending uh, a, a, a disease to correct a people. Assuming this is God sending it, I'm not saying it is or isn't, just saying if God has done so. Um, a, I believe, I forgot which prophet it was. It'll probably come to me later. Uh, discusses the topic that uh, he will use his tools to address corrections that are needed. And his tools are beyond our own ability. You will note that the items here used in our, our, our Torah, uh, as well as the Tanakh in general, are tools that man has no control over. We don't, we, they aren't tools that we get to share with God or get to use instead of him. They aren't tools which we create. So any tool which is beyond our ability to share or use belongs to him. Hope that makes sense. So in that instance, for example, here we have, obviously, man cannot create hail. Now we can, you know, mimic small, small movies or little small households, little bits of, of, as a machine to dump it. We can't do that. We cannot turn massive sections of water into blood. We, we don't have the, their tools are well beyond our ability. Um, so the idea is that when God created his tools, he used which he only he can do. Now, in case of diseases, um, in this case, with regards to COVID and other pestilences that come as, as years come and go, uh, in my personal, Daniel Age's opinion, don't agree with me, that's fine. Uh, in my personal opinion, uh, this is just my opinion regarding it, though, to keep in mind, is that when it comes to diseases and God's dealing with them, if he were to deal with them, there is a component that is disease, but there's also a component that is political. Uh, and in this case, when it comes to diseases, because it is in the best interest of uh, men to have certain diseases propagate to create profit and money off of them, I'm not inclined to think this is necessarily sent by God. Uh, there's a lot of, of an abundance of money being made off this particular disease, uh, more so than I can even fathom. I think they're, they're topping $2 trillion so far of money being made off of it. And I don't think God is in the business of making wealthy people really, really wealthy. It's just my personal opinion, though. That is my opinion. If you don't have to agree with me, just my opinion. Uh, there's a lot of, of money made here. So I'm not inclined to think this is a particular sent by God uh, necessarily. I'm not saying it isn't. Just, it's, not, it's not my inclination. Uh, too much money is being made off of it. To be, and too, many, too many politicians are making too much power out of it. 
and making it a power grab. So it's not, that's not usually the methodology that God uses. When he's sending a correction, it affects negatively both high, the, the, the leaders as well as the followers, both the people who are in charge, the people who follow at the end. As, as he discusses in Isaiah, it affects both the head and the tail. Uh, that's, that's the nature of God's handiwork. So if it does not negatively affect both the head and the tail, I'm not inclined to think God necessarily sent it. But then again, that is my personal opinion. So I can't say I'm right or wrong. Does that make sense, Pamela? Thank you. Thank you for the explanation. Any comments or questions about this Torah portion that we covered? Go ahead, Alex. <laughs> um, I would just weigh in on what you said, and this is such a human thing. This is people fighting people. Another component of my life, my mother was in a nursing home in Burbank near my brother, isolated. Horrible thing during 2020. COVID got in there. She was a weak, she had a weak heart. And we know what happens to people with weak hearts and elderly in nursing homes. Um, kids, what we're doing to kids. These are all human men's decisions, people's decisions, what we're doing to our school kids, what we did to our frail and nurse. This is, this is battles between different heads. People to people. Now, I will... And we learned early on what it was, who the vulnerable were. Right. But that's been totally... Yeah, it made, 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 uh, they ignore that component of it now. Uh, and I would, I would not claim that, uh, that the COVID detail is strictly, you know, uh, uh, man-made everything. I, 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 I'm not, uh, not going to be that foolish. Uh, demons have a lot of power too, and they can do a lot of gain, and, and, and they can do a lot of things that we give them credit for, so, or don't give them credit for. So I will not say that it is, that is, that is absence of spiritual uh, workings, that could be, but I'm just not inclined to think God necessarily sent it. But man, however, has done a lot, a whole lot. A lot of decisions made, uh, you could argue, wise or foolish. But man's done a lot, and a lot of money's been made off of it. Um, that's just my, again, it's my pet peeve. I'll try not to jump my soapbox for too long. But that's just <laughs> it's my, my personal pet peeve about uh, when it comes to a power. Part of God's permissible will that it something like this would happen. I mean, something like this happens do, all the time. Men will do what yep. they do to one another, and that, yep. and it's it's still within God's omni- omniscience. Approval. That he knows, yep. and yep. he's he still going to work it out for good. Although it looks like it's pretty devastating. So it can be appearances. Yeah, there's nothing that is beyond God's knowledge or can happen without His permission. Uh, we learned that from uh, from Job when he dealt with 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 with, with Hasatan or the devil. This is the issue that God, okay, you have limits. You can only go so far. You can't go beyond these these thresholds. So nothing happens at his, at his, without his awareness. If he's aware of the hair of my head, which is getting less, if he's aware of how many is on my head, uh, he's going to know who dare, who dies, who doesn't. He's going to know who 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 perishes for one thing or another thing. So there's nothing he doesn't know about to occur that we think well that's not allows it to occur or not and I, I i will not contend that he doesn't allow things to occur that we think well that's not right but again we're not god we didn't create people we didn't create the world around us he did and death is never permanent in his worldview it's in ours not in his so it's not quite as severe or dangerous we deal with god's dealing with it uh yes rose I see all these plagues as the fact that yeah. we have a God of grace. We do. 
We have a God that is patient, kind, loving. He gave Pharaoh Many ten times. chances to turn around and do right. the right thing. And now he finally had to take a stand and say, enough is enough. enough. But, We're talking about that particularly today, as far can, as what I was and doing. And we can put this into our own lives. I mean, how many times in my life, I'll speak for myself, did I go against what God said to do? And I was stiff-necked and hard-hearted and right. uh, w- with a very sinful nature, uh, wanting to do what I, I wanted to do. And the end result was that God set a plague every time. Upon you in particular, for your personal uh, yeah, life? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, I can't, I, I can't name Don't name si- them. Don't, we don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> we don't want to list them. <laughs> I can't name every situation, but right. I'm just saying that as I look back, at the yeah. time I didn't see that. Right. But I can look back over my life and I can see where I was corrected. We're going to talk about that particular topic today. Specifically so focus I, I on see that. this as a very loving yep. God. I mean, he gave Pharaoh all those chances. He did. Many chances. Can I, Diane, say Go right ahead, one Dan. little thing? Shabbat shalom. Sorry Shabbat shalom. we were late. We're, That's we're okay. not well right now. So, But thank God we are present and we praise God. We can fellowship the way we can. We're grateful. Um, we reap what we sow. We either, And we all know, I think it's in Galatians, where we either reap to the spirit or we reap to the flesh. The Bible says we reap what we sow. Mm-hmm. And... And that, and obedience is better than sacrifice. And it seems to me to kind of tie in with what we're seeing. And 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 God also talks about in Jeremiah, I think it's seventeen nine, where He talks about our the human heart being deceitful, desperately wicked, and and that and um, those things just come to mind. Thank you yes, for letting those, me those, share. Yes, those those are those are accurate points to point out. That we, these these are um, we 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 have the within our ability to do certain things to make decisions made whether it's in your personal life or my personal life or business life or family life we had decisions we can make the decisions make make rulings make judgment calls and we decide what we want to do so today we're going to a little bit about Pharaoh regarding his decision making though quote as Dan put it out the reap what you sow uh, component of his life so as you go through this um, there's a few a few minor highlights going to hit out just just so you're aware. Uh, that we cover ahead of time before we go into too deep into the discussions of what it means and what Pharaoh was doing, why he was thinking what he was thinking. Dan? Oh, yes. I'd like to make a comment. Go ahead. Okay. The magicians might be like our scientists. They had power to a certain point, but then it got out of hand and God, you know, brought the plagues even against them. Your point is well taken. Um, you will note that the term is, uh, uh, magician within our Torah, in, in the Greeks translate that as pharmacist. That's what the term means. And so when they discuss physicians referring to someone who uses uh, chemicals to, to create things or make things happen, uh, pharmacist in particular was where the term the pharma, pharmacist comes from. That's what the term means. So the term magi- magician here in your Torah is the Greek word, Pharmacist. Uh, that's how we would translate the word. It's. I'm not saying I'm against pharmacists. <laughs> just, Jesus, what the word means, what, what, what the term means. It's to manipulate a particular chemical or, or operation, whatever, to change the outcome, what it was, was to something else. That's what the, the, the process is. And Greeks 
pharmacists did that. That was their job uh, to, to, to create chemical compositions to do something. Now, the Greek included pharmacists of what we would consider illicit drugs as well were grouped into the pharmacist category. So uh, psychedelic drugs were all grouped into that. It's all the same groupings. They, they didn't, when you use a plant or some kind of a, a chemical operation, uh, Greeks assumed that's all pharmacist work. Today, we break up to chemists and biologists, all the subcategories. Greek didn't do that. It was also one thing. It was divided up later as, as, as science moved on, but that's, that's what it was. So it's, it's the, the, the irony is not lost <laughs> on what's going on here as far as modern day world as well, and scientists and, and, and the sleight of hand work that they, that they frequently do. Okay, so first we won't go too deep into what I want to talk about today. Um, a little bit about this. First of all, uh, not this is terribly relevant to anybody, just, just be aware. When God introduced himself at last chat, last Torah portion about you know, Yehovah and you know, El Shaddai, all those details as far as what what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew as them. <clears throat> you will note that he points out that God, compl- God specifies that uh, the patriarchs, and, which is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but of course the sons of Jacob, you know, all, all 12 sons, did not know God by this particular name. They knew him as El Shaddai. Well, Shaddai, of course, I'm not going to go into the details of name definitions because it's not really relevant for today. But they are, it is a different, a different name. You have to ask yourself, I'm not going to answer this question, but just think about it for your own personal knowledge. At what point does God say, these men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the sons of, Israel, of Jacob in particular, I am not going to disclose information to. Then later on, over here, and now I'm going to disclose additional information. Why is it that God would say, well, Moses and the children of Israel at Moses' time, you will now be instructed on how to live, the rules of life, what does apply, what does not apply, how we, how we conduct ourselves, how we interact from man to man and man to God. That is what you will be taught. But with the patriarchs, no. That will not be taught. They'll make their own way of life, whatever the way of life is. That is a separate category. Now, the patriarchs were honorable men. They did good things. They were righteous before God in many ways. They did some bad things too. They made some mistakes. That's how life works. But God did not put upon them the instructions you put upon Moses, the children of Israel. Think yourself, I'm not going to answer the question, but think of think yourself, I was fine here early child as, 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 as a human being. At what point do I was fine here early on, and as I progress with time, now I need more thorough instruction, greater detail, greater knowledge, greater wisdom given to me that I did not need before when I was successful. Bless, uh, Larry. I was going to say that... <clears throat> Um, it's been said that the real reason or the overarching reason for the whole exodus and coming out of Egypt is too loud um, was that they should, like he taught telling Moses, uh, telling Pharaoh that you shall know that I am God. He was showing all the Israelites and the Egyptians who he was. And as he got further in, he had to add more things to show them more things about him all the way through the world wandering through the wilderness. You have an accurate point. So you note, you note that in the times which God, which we'll discuss this a little bit, as God addresses Pharaoh and says, hey, I'm going to do these various things to you, he actually specifies reasons why. I'm doing this set of plagues because of this reason. Next set, I'm doing this set because of this reason. The next set, I'm doing this. He actually explains a reason he does each set of plagues and his purpose behind them. So Pharaoh and the whole world would see certain things along the way. We'd have his fame would be spread about. So 
And we note that God does that and goes to Pharaoh. And of course, the 40 years of wilderness wandering with the Israelites, the whole process that God is instructing, identifying not necessarily just strictly for them, their own personal life, but also for them to understand who and what their God actually is. What power he does have and when he does, what he can do versus what he chooses not to do. That's profound. Think about it, that my God can fix anything and yet he chooses, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to not fix it. Well, who wouldn't want God to just fix all your problems? Just fix them. Move on. We'd all love that. And his answer always is, no. What would you learn? As the prophets point out, you would become, as, the, the, as I think it's the Psalms, the uncomprehending horse, which is precisely what God said, I don't want. I don't want the uncomprehending horse. It just does whatever the writer tells it. Pull right, pull left turn, go fast or slower, the horse just does what the rider tells it to do, or whatever it's been trained to do, not comprehending why it's doing what it's doing. That's precisely what God did not want men to do. What it meant to be comprehending, to comprehend the beginning from the end, the whole process. We discussed that. We won't discuss that all the details today, but that's the nature of how, what he wants men to be. So we can understand that when it comes to the patriarchs, God did not explain all the details, give all the, 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 the rules as far as how to live and how to conduct one's life. Did not give it to them, but he did give it to Moses, the children of Israel. They had to go further along in the comprehension of what God is and what God isn't. What God can do and what he will not do. And what is your responsibility versus what's his responsibility? If we call it growing up, how many do your, how much do you, do your children when they're young, how much do they comprehend of what is good and what is right and what is not? They come with, you know, get swat, hit so-and-so, <laughs> stop lying, things like that. You get, you, you, you get in trouble for as your child. Well, as your adult, obviously, we, went, we go from, you know, being a swatted for, for, for hitting your sister to, you know, now you actually have consequences, loss of privileges, which that grants into adulthood, which you get imprisoned when you do things that are seriously wrong, or you lose your job, or things that ha- this happen, or, or relationship breaks up. The, the consequences grow. So you grew, Right. That's a principle. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they didn't need the growing up part that the children of Israel needed with Moses. Either they already had it, which my contention is they did. They already had the growing up part. They already understood what was right and wrong. Mind you, they aren't that far removed from Noah. They would have known and have the record of all the mess that happened. And of course, they are so Abraham was still alive when the Tower of Babel fell. So he he was a young man, but he was still around. He saw how that destroyed too. So he had a comprehension behind him. And God told Abraham, I am choosing you because you will teach your children and your grandchildren. That's why you're being selected. That's why I chose you. Because you will transfer the information from, who, from yourself to the generations that follow. Clearly, after 200 or 300 years in, in Egypt, that information was lost. So it did not continue on the process of teaching their children and grandchildren what God, what Abraham was doing and what Abraham did. Hence, what do you do? Reteach. How do you reteach? Here's a book. <laughs> I'll write it down for you. Now, you don't have to, have to teach your own children can figure it out for themselves because he knows the nature of humanity. We don't always transfer all the information down. You just don't. We do what we can. We forget a lot more than we, than we remember, just how life works. So life is different from the, for the patriarchs to the children of Israel. 
It just is. People were different. Life changed. Conduct changed. So God would say, now we have instructions of how you are to live. So to distinguish that, that so that, that, that don't, uh, to not put backwards upon the patriarchs, the laws of God in the rest of the Torah. They may have already known them, may have done it by inheritance or by personal private knowledge, but don't put it back to them. God didn't give it to them. He gave it to the children of Israel to follow, meaning the descendants thereof, not the ones from Abraham and Jacob Abraham themselves. Okay, let's move forward because there's something more interesting I want to talk about today. I just want to touch that because I don't want to forget about it because I, I might, I might uh, uh, forget. As you mentioned, I think it was either the last Torah portion, I can't remember, it was the last Torah portion, maybe two, two I don't remember. Uh, we mentioned about uh, uh, God remembering, I think it was the last, last one, anyway, God remembering something. So it appears here, God talks to Moses, hey, I remember the children of Israel, this is verse 5 of chapter 6, the children of Israel, I remember their groaning, I've heard their groaning, life's terrible, it's awful, now I remember it, now I'll go ahead and take care of this, as if he forgot. Well, clearly he didn't forget. The term remember just means that it, the time has now come, it is now here, now that the, 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 the amount of suffering has amassed to a certain point to where some triggering event occurred. This is not an abnormal thing. Now, note our own personal, personal, we're not this old, but our own more modern history, 1800s or so, um, it doesn't take the mass people to make a decision. It takes, for God, a remnant, a portion is sufficient enough. As learned from the 1860s and eight, in 1890s, late 1890s, uh, both those two events, which spawned the recreation of children, uh, the land of Israel, was not done by all the Jews of the world or all the Israelites of the world. 50 year, 40 year span. People, like 15 of them at the first time, and then maybe 100 or so the next time. 50 year, 40 year span. About 40 year span. Um, between, the, between both sets, that's all it took. And that was what spawned the sequence of steps of events in history that God said, now is the time. So it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take the mass group of people to do something. It takes a certain amount. God says, this is sufficient. This is, this is the amount needed, the remnant needed to make something occur. And of course, now we have the modern state of Israel. As well from those events, of course, obviously World War II. And World War I and II, actually, both, 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 both wars. So it doesn't take a lot. We also learned that Daniel said the same thing. So did Ezra and Jeremiah. They all said, it, it just takes a remnant to do this, to do this. When Ezra came back, did all of Israel come back? No, a small number of them came back. And of course, with, with Maccabees, we did through Halakha not too long ago. How many of them were involved in Maccabee, the Revolutionary War? It was a small, it was a single family initially. And that spawned the whole civil war that took place and embodying off the, the, the Syrians. So it takes a small amount to do a huge thing. So as we learn from our own lives, it takes a small amount, a little bit, can do a lot, a lot inside of our own personal lives. I, I would point that up because we're coming with that more specifically regarding this particular issue with Pharaoh. What does it take? So you will note in chapter 5, Moses, of course, verse 1, sorry, chapter 5, I apologize, chapter 7, not 5, chapter 7, verse 1, uh, Moses, God tells Moses, I'm going to make you a god to Pharaoh, or a master over him. Now, what is a god? What is a master? What does it do? Look at this. When you're a parent, your child, little child, what happens? You as a parent impose your will upon the child. Child, you're going to do this, you're not going to do that. You're going to conduct your way this life this way. You're not going to conduct your life that way. You're going to not have some bitch for it. You're not going to hit your sister. Not allowed. Sorry, my will is you can't do that. Therefore, my will is imposed upon you. The nature of a master is the idea that I will impose my will upon you, Pharaoh. So God was saying, Moses, I'm putting you to where you can impose your will upon Pharaoh. That's the term means. That there's a master or a god over to one who can, who can control. 
So you can make it possible to do that. Um, now, Moses can impose his will upon Pharaoh. Of course, Moses generally does not. He imposes God's will. God tells him what to do each step of the way. But Pharaoh has to respond each time. And Moses even gives Pharaoh the opportunity to specify when the frogs go away, right? Tomorrow. And of course, it demonstrates tomorrow was all took. So Moses, though he has the power to impose Moses' will upon, upon Pharaoh in Egypt, he doesn't utilize that power. We learn this more thoroughly later on as we learn about Moses himself, called the humblest man who ever lived. Okay, well, that's Moses is writing about himself. Uh, not exactly. Think about this for a minute. Let's put you in Messiah's position. Imagine yourself 2,000 years ago. You are Messiah, the power of God. Moses is the power of God in this sense. Messiah has the power of God. You see all the mess, all the misery, all the hatred, all the wars, all the injustice, and all the persecution upon yourself. How much self-control do you have? How much self-control to not do anything? To not intervene? To not stop the injustices? To not prevent the miseries? I don't. Maybe you do, but I don't. I'd want to say, but that's wrong. I want to fix this. I can change that. And you have the power to do it. And you don't. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, we yell at the TV all day long. <laughs> we intervene in movies. How could you do something? Or even books you're reading. That was foolish. Uh, things we, we learn. We, we as human instinct is to intervene. That would not be the humble choice. The humble choice is, all right, God, what do you want to do? You do it. I have the power and ability, but God, you do it. That's a very low position to put yourself when you wield essentially unlimited authority. So Moses was a very humble man. Though he could have struck Pharaoh himself, most likely. But he did not. He did according to what God told him to do. We learn later, of course, Moses makes his mistake about you know, striking the rock and, 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 and telling people that they're, they're stiff-necked people. He went too far, and God still heeded him. You notice that? Moses did something against what God told him to do, and yet God still listened. Okay, I'll, I'll do it. But it. That's a lot of power. Does God obey your will? <laughs> doesn't obey mine. <laughs> if you obey your let me know how you do it. He doesn't obey mine at all. But in this sense, it's Moses. God obeyed Moses' will, which is profound. When it's in light, but in this case, Moses broke the sequence of how it was to be done. If I do something right, meaning the end result is right, but I do a lot of evil in order to get there, is that God's will? If to ask yourself, that's questionable. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Uh, people like, for example, Nebuchadnezzar, he did something God told him to do. But Nebuchadnezzar did a lot of evil in the process. And God said, that went too far. So the end result accomplished what God was after, the destruction, of course, of, of, of Judah. But then it was, now it's time to pay for it. Now you're going to suffer, I think it was, what, seven years as, as an animal, something like that. He, he had to eat grass. I think it was seven years. It could be off on the number of years. He basically acted like a wild animal for a few years there. So, and he had to be brought down very, very low, humble himself to the, speed, to, to the level of an animal. That's a very low position to be when you're the king of the world at that time. 
So it takes it. You, you're brought down very, very low. So there's a point that where since Moses was the friend of God, spoke to him face to face. The only one God ever did to. He didn't even speak to Abraham face to face. There was one interaction with the whole, you know, the strangers. That's about the extent of it. God, Moses got to speak to God face to face, and God still obeyed him, which is fascinating to watch. There's also a few instances also, which, which I won't go into all today because they go into later on Torah portion, that Moses makes decisions and, uh, and, and, and proclamations, which God did not say to do, but yet they still get carried out, uh, in particular with the golden calf issue. We'll discuss that when we get to golden calf. So this instance, Moses has a lot of humility, has a lot of power to wield, but he does not wield it. Um, but I want to focus my attention a little bit more upon Pharaoh. So I have a question for you. You don't have to answer this necessarily, but just think about this. If God's objective to wipe out, kill Pharaoh, the whole time, his objective was to kill Pharaoh. That was the goal. To wipe out, wipe him out, defeat Egypt, bring them down very, very low. Why bother asking to let the people that children Israel go? Why bother asking? Why bother having Moses and Aaron go before him to ask the children of Israel to go? Where, where, where is the point where free will comes in and you know, Pharaoh has the opportunity to say, hey, I don't want to do this, versus when it does not come in and God says, no, I'm not going to have that happen. I'm going to allow this sequence of events to occur in spite of yourself, Pharaoh. Even though I'm going to destroy you, you can't do anything about it. You can't undo the sequence of events that's going to, you're going to go through. What was the point of it? What was the purpose? Yes, Alex. Um, it was the point in some of the passages as it was said that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Did you, right. I don't remember he did. hearing that. After, after play number five, oh, okay. five, the first five, Pharaoh's hardened his own heart. But after play five, God intervened on play number six. I think he did it again on, I forgot, I want to say like play nine or ten. He, 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 he hardens it two or three times total. That is kind of confusing. It is confusing. You, know, you can see as a, a guy like Pharaoh, who's like his own god anyway. Right, right, right. And he could battle it out with God, and then it would have been over. But no, I'm going to harden his heart. We're going to keep right. this one going. Keep, keep, keep it going. It's exactly. amazing. It is interesting. It, it is a curiosity, because I have to ask my own personal question, is my heart hardened? Do I harden it on certain things? Uh, at what point do I say, this is another hill to climb, just battle through it? Or... I need to back off saying, okay, God, this is your, this is your, 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 your show. You do this. At what point do, in my own life do I say, I'm hardening my own will, I'm making my own will happen, versus no, I need to back off, as most would do, and humble myself down. At where does that threshold lie? Now, I'm sure it's different from each one of us, but we have to know where that threshold is. If you don't know where that threshold is, what stops you from making a serious, flawed mistake? So has have gone through some serious flawed mistakes <laughs> because of that unwillingness to yield and just thinking, well, this is another hill to climb, another battle to fight, and I'll just fight and I'll push my way through, I'll persevere. Sounds great, but at some point you realize, I'm persevering against what? Against this difficulty or against God and don't know it? At what point do I have to do I, do I reach this threshold? Something is wrong. Something doesn't fit right. Something is mismatched. This isn't working correctly. What, what is wrong? with this? What happened? What, what is distorted in my viewpoint? Why am I pursuing this? But it doesn't seem to be working out the way I thought it should. Is it just my own incompetence? My own 
self-will, uh, my own uh, inexperience, what is it? What's the details? Well, you have to know what that is. I have to know what it is for me. You have to know what it is for you, right? It's part of your walk with God. Where is it where my will and his depart and when do they meet? Well, in Pharaoh's case, he didn't have the opportunity necessarily in the same way as far as knowing when it departed, when it met. Now, I have a question for you, though, because this is interesting. So Pharaoh was not given the opportunity to repent after plague five. At that point on, his heart, his heart was being hardened along the way from God. Now, we learn from Ezekiel 18 that that's not God's normal way of working. Ezekiel 18 points out that says, hey, at any point in time, you can repent. At any point in time, you can turn around and go back. And I will not hold you responsible for the sins of anybody else. You, you can't be held responsible for your dad's sins or your son's sins or your daughter's sins, or your mother's sins. And they can't be held responsible for any of your sins for, against themselves. So they live their life. You live your life. You have two separate lives, two separate ways of life. You, you, you are not held accountable to each other. And God said, this is how I work. This is my normal way of life, my normal procedure. Uh, men don't do that, but God says, this is how I do it. If you were a sinner your whole life and repented, I'm cool with it. I'll, I'll accept your repentance. If you were a righteous man your whole life and then sinned at the end and said, forget you, God, I will reject what you did in the past because where you ended is what mattered. You chose the end to, to abandon me. So guess what? I've abandoned you. Bye. Have a nice life dead. <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's God, and we say, well, as Ezekiel 18 points out, and they say, well, well, people say that's not fair, God. That's not just. God says, yes, it is. My way is just, your way is not just. You want to hold people accountable for everything. I had a discussion with my mother last night regarding uh, a man or woman who makes a mistake as a youth, teenager, early 20s, whatever. They're held that as held against them in their 60s and 70s. I mean, look how many politicians are, quote, vetted back 50 and 60 years. How many of you have made a mistake when you were in your 20s or your teens? Yeah, right? Yeah, lost count. How is it to be held accountable now for that? Yes, uh, 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 Tammy. I feel so sorry for the future generation because when we were kids, you think of Gen Xers and, you know, maybe even your generation, you're a hair younger than me. We didn't have the internet and people posting videos of everything we've ever did to be able to use against us later on. So yeah, we might have sowed our oats, but there's no videos of it. But now everybody posts videos of everything. Everyone gets their camera out and they videotape everything. So, and there's a permanent record. There was an incident like about a year or two ago where some teenage, I think it was a cheerleader or somebody, apparently made some kind of racial slur um, about her cheerleading coach or something like that. And somebody recorded it. And they waited until she was in college, getting ready to get approved to go to an Ivy League college. And they published that video so the Ivy League college would reject her application. Okay? So, of my generation, there were kids probably that said stuff they shouldn't have said and did things they shouldn't have done. There's no video of it. They didn't lose their opportunity to go to Harvard because of it. But this generation now, when you were saying earlier, holding... Their sins against him and never letting them grow up. Which was Job's complaint. So God, if yeah. you hold my if hold me from my youth, the sins of my youth, no one can stand. That was Job's comment to God. You can't do that. And God wouldn't be that. God is not unjust to do that. And Job pointed out, God, you're yeah. not unjust, but we are. Humans are. We're unjust. We'll do that. 
But God said he wouldn't. And Job points out, God, you don't do that. Because no one could None of us would survive. It's by youth. God holds us as by youth. I'm destroyed. There's no way. None of us would survive. Every mistake we've ever made, always repeated again and again and again. So in the case of Pharaoh, at what point in time he's got to say, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. Now note the first five plagues he went through, the first five plagues, each instance, Pharaoh had the opportunity to say, I relent, and he chose not to. Now you'll note that in a few of these plagues, some of the individuals he was working with uh, had this problem. They specifically said, hey, uh, we can't do this. I won't go through all of them in great detail. It's excessive in, in, in its description. But uh, note that uh, Egyptians and necromancers, you can, you can debate, you can think this way you want to think, I don't really care. If you believe that you know, they created the snakes, maybe they made sticks and made them alive, they created life, or whether there's a sleight of hand. That's your decision, what you, what you personally believe about most Christianity and Judaism is split 50-50 on that. Half think the magicians did sleight of hand with the snakes and with the blood and the water and the frogs. And they have to say, no, 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 they actually did create them. They had the power of the demons to create them. I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not going to discuss what they did and didn't have power of. But either way, they duplicated at least a few of the, few of the events in some capacity or another until at some point they said, we can't do this. The lice. It, it, it could be a sleight of hand. I, I don't really know for certain. I do know that there was uh, uh, a, 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 an analysis done that there is a certain snakes. I think there's two varieties or three varieties, which if you grab them, they turn stiff as a board. Uh, the dragon snake is one of them that does that. Uh, so the snake that does that, that they're, they're normal snakes. You t- touch them, they become stiff, like really hard rock. You, got, you could actually theoretically make them into a staff and make them into a slight hand. You could do that theoretically. So there is a methodology of making that occur. Obviously, there's real things that can, that can do that. But I don't necessarily say that the magicians or necromancers did or didn't. Uh, just That's what they were doing. Uh, Isaac, you had your hand up. What was your comment? I believe the other one is a cobra. A cobra does that? It might. I do not recall. So there's ways of doing it for certain, for certain species of, of, of serpents. And they may have done so. I don't really know. Regarding the blood and the frogs, that's an easy trick. Because God already did it for you. <laughs> so yeah, here's some water. Oh, look, it's blood. It was my, it was my work, right? <laughs> yeah, see? Uh-huh. God already did that. That's cheating. And the cars are frogs coming out of the river. So I'll just go to the river and, and quarantine off this section. Okay, frogs come out. Oh, look, frogs coming out. You could, you could, you could, you could, you could trick those. Those are pretty easy. Uh, yes, Larry. So you can make what looks like and even taste a little bit like blood out of water just by throwing some iron oxide in there. You're right. You're right. You're right. You can, you can make a chemical compound that, that, that mimics it. Uh, you, you add some iron, a little bit of thickener onto it. You can make it into a, 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 a thicker material that tastes like, an, like blood. You absolutely could. There, there, are, there are tricks and ways of doing it. Hence why uh, 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 Greeks called magicians pharmacists. That's what they were doing. They were mixing compounds to do things. That's what they did. Uh, that was their, 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 their niche market. Um, but anyway, so throughout these plagues, Pharaoh has obviously his servants who can say, hey, this is, you know, we should agree or not agree. He has, has counselors. At that point, the lies, he pointed out that, no, this is a finger of a god. Now, they didn't specify it was a particular god, but just a god's finger. They, they, they weren't going to confess that this god of Moses was somehow the, the, the god doing it, but there was a particular god. They pointed out this, this is a finger of God that actually does this. Um, so the case, they, they recognize there's, some, there, there's a deviation of what their powers can do. The Pharaoh, of course, did not recognize that necessarily, did not agree with that, taking it on in, in his way. So the first three, you'll notice, Essentially, their response to Pharaoh's earlier complaint, three, four chapters earlier, 
when Pharaoh said to Moses, I don't know this God. Who is this Yehovah you're talking about? I've never heard of him before. He says, no, I don't, I don't know anything about him. Why would I obey him? Well, these first three were allowing Pharaoh to have a taste of, okay, who is this God? Oh, look, look what he can do. Well, my necromancers are just going to do the same thing up to a point, okay, now he's obviously stronger than they are. Now, Pharaoh has an introduction to who God is. This was his introduction. It was a good introduction. I'm sure if some people perished in the process, but overall, Pharaoh got the picture of who he was. But note, that was God's objective to identify who he is. This is who, who, this is who, my God, this is who I am. But you'll note that uh, God then replies to Pharaoh and specifies the, the next three sets, which is the swarms and the, the disease and the hail. Um, next three sets uh, is, not hail, sorry, there was the swarms. Oh, I forgot. The swarms and, oh, livestock and the, and the ash to boil. So for next three. Next year, God says, I'm going to show you that I'm God in the land. Not necessarily strictly in, in Israel, but in the land of Egypt, I am God here too. That's what these were. And the God points out this, this, that the, the objective of these three plagues was to identify that I am God in the land of Egypt. So I'm greater not just for the Hebrews, but I'm greater than, oh, sorry, I'm not greater, I am the God in your land. Pharaoh's convenient reply was, after Swarm says, oh, if he's God in the land, then Israelites go offer in the land. Because your God's here. He said so. That was Pharaoh's reply. And Moses, and that's at the Swarm, so Moses, but I can't do that. We'll be offering cattle, which Egypt worships, and you're going to stone us if we do so. So Pharaoh's, he, he's, Pharaoh's using his own intelligence to try to outsmart the sequence that he's going through. I'm sure I do that too. I'm sure you do that too. Use what you know to outsmart the difficulty, the struggle you're in. How can I outmanipulate this? How can I get past this struggle and beyond, move beyond this difficulty that I'm working through, our own hill we're battling? We'll discuss what Messiah says about that shortly. I'm going to fly through these the next few. I'm not going to go through all the great details because it gets excessive. Um, the livestock, God points out the same thing. He, oh, he specifies, by the way, the livestock, and this is, uh, we talked to the livestock, point out that uh, I'm not going to use my finger, I'm going to use my hand now. So God points out the livestock, so you point out the finger was the lice, well, I'm not using my finger now, it's the hand, my, one of my hands will be on this process. So livestock was God's hand, not his finger. The lice was his finger. And of course, the boils, of course, that's extended, extended the necromancers, at that, the, the, the strengthening, of, God strengthens Pharaoh for the ashes, the boils, because the, the necromancers at that point could no longer stand. So now your other gods, the priests of them, can no longer stand before Moses. They are now discarded. Meaning that their, their power is now set aside and now no longer relevant. The necromancers can't do it. They can't stand before God. They've left. So God has defeated the, 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 the gods that Pharaoh was depending upon. Now it's between Pharaoh and God. How do we deal with this? Now, in that, the next three, which we, I didn't get through all of them because some of them go to the next Torah portions, God specifically states that uh, at this point, I'm going to, go, going to tell you that I am the, the I am, there's no one like me in Egypt. So the last three sets before the 10th one, there's no other God like me. So the first three, I introduced you to who I was, what I am. The next three, I pointed that I'm here. I'm not some faraway country. I'm living right here next to you. I'm near you. 
And the last three is, there's no one, no other God like me amongst your gods. That was the, the point which God points out for those three sets. So we'll go past those now, because I think I want to talk about that's more relevant. Okay. At the third plague, they realized that the Necrobrists could not uh, defeat this God. And I discussed this a little bit. About, okay, well, at what point do we say, hey, this is beyond me. I can't do this anymore. At what point did Pharaoh realize this is stronger than I am? Where, am I, where is my failure at? Why am I not succeeding at this fight that I have uh, with, this, with this God of Moses? Now, there's, something, there's a, a few occurrences that occur throughout our New Testament scriptures as well as our prophets that discuss this specific topic at that threshold point where it says, I'm too much or not enough, where I went too far or I haven't gone far enough. And they, in, in, in particular, we'll discuss this a little bit. So in Luke 11, discuss this topic, which Messiah runs across the same scenario from the opposite side, meaning he's the, he, in, 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 in the realm of, 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 of Moses, so to speak, as opposed to Pharaoh. So in Luke 11, uh, verse 14, it reads, reads as such. He was casting out a demon, this referring to Messiah, who was mute, and it was when the demon had gone out that the, the, mute, the mute had spoken, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, saw from a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. If a house divided against, against a house falls, if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by, by, by Beelzebub. If I cast out demons by, Be- by Beelzebub, by whom do, you, do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. When a stronger than he comes upon him and overtakes him, he takes from, his, he takes from him all of the armor in which he had trusted and divides his spoils. So what, we, what, what is what was I pointing out? Okay, so Pharaoh, you're a strong man. Or in this case, the, people, the, 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 the leaders of Israel at the time of Messiah, you're the strong man. Someone stronger than you has come. What are you trusting in? Your strength. But is that sufficient? So when you have a struggle in your life, when I have a struggle in my life, if it's stronger than me, what's going on? If it's bigger than me, I can't defeat it. What's happening? Have I come across something that is stronger than me such that I'm supposed to relent? That's a tough question to answer. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard. Let's go to another example. This is an easy one because we all know this probably by heart. I'm going to the other one, Book of Acts. Book of Acts. That was, the last one was Luke 11. But the Book of Acts, which is a bit more famous one, which we're all very familiar with. Uh, Paul's story. I'm going to go through all of it and read the entire thing. It's, it's excessive. But Acts chapter, I'm going to do the first few verses of eight to give you a flavor of who Paul was, also known as Saul. Acts 8, the first four verses, says this. Now Saul was consenting to his, this referring to the killing of Stephen, by the way, since to his death, at the, at the time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc 
of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So what was Paul's nature? Was he, was he fighting against? Fighting against the people that were following God, following more specifically the way in which Messiah taught them to live, following Messiah. Arresting them. Now, is that beyond their ability? If you got arrested and thrown in prison for your beliefs, is that bigger than you? Yeah, it is. Okay, you have to decide, is that, did you go too far? Did you make a mistake? Or are you doing right? That's a hard question to answer, because Pharaoh has to ask, ask the same question himself. Am I making a mistake? Or am I holding the, holding the line, towing the line that's right? They're different questions. They're not easy ones to answer. We'll discuss a little more detail as well. Now, Paul continues on. Uh, by the way, this is a, a two-fold section. So uh, there's, a, there's a political event that occurred uh, back in Acts 7. It talks about, we're going to read that. Well, I'll read a little bit. It, it, it gives you the flavor of the, the, the people, the, the men. So uh, in this case, it is, let's see, Acts 7, note, is the pinched, these are, the, these are the, two, the two contexts of which Saul or Paul was working with. The first one was the group of the high priests, whom Paul or Saul at the time, Saul, was not affiliated with. But he was not affiliated with the high priest. He was wrong religious sect. So his opposing sect, his enemy sect, Acts 7 verse, uh, sorry, Acts 5, I'll not 7, uh, verse 5, Acts 5, verse 5, uh, five verse 17. Acts 5, 17, it says, the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. They laid their hands upon the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel left. I'm not going to read the whole story. But the point is out and said, go to the temple and speak to people all the words of this life. I'm not going to read the whole story. But the point is that, so what is the mental state of being philosophy for the high priest? Now, he's, they're full of jealousy, indignation, and to arrest those who were of this way of life and put them in prison. Was it stronger than them? Yes. So an angel intervened and got them out. That's how it would pass. As uh, Anne had pointed out, it was do the right thing. Yes, it is. You can do it. Even though it's stronger, you still do it anyway. It's the right thing. How do you know? How do you know? I know you didn't cross the line. Now, the affiliation which Paul was affiliated with, which is also listed in Acts 5, that's the other political side of the spectrum. That's in verse 33. It says, when they heard this, this regarding the preaching of these two men who they had just arrested, they were furious and took counsel to kill them. Then one of the counsel stood up who was a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, and held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thudius rose up claiming to be somebody, and there were men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this, a man, Judas of Galilee, rose up the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. If this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. So Gamaliel is the opposite political 
uh, persuasion with inside the Sanhedrin, which is one that Paul saw as actually affiliated with. Now, having these two political movements with inside the Sanhedrin, the, the, the dividing up, Saul, who belongs to a side he doesn't agree with, temporarily gets permission to switch a, a side, so to speak. In uh, going to, to uh, chapter 9, now Paul, of course, had, had gone through a process and had asked the, 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 uh, the high priest that he, he would be able to murder or take, take, take them out. So chapter 9, verse 1, says, Then Saul, still breathing, threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now, this is the opposite side. This is the person who he doesn't agree with, who went to the opposing political party, and asked letters from him to the synagogue to Damascus so that he could, if found, any who were in the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So now Saul is making a decision to, I'm going to switch political parties, so to speak, temporarily, to get the other's authority, because my own party wouldn't do it or couldn't do it, get the opposing party's political authority in order to go do something to fight against God, to fight against these individual people. And of course, the Jewish Damascus with a story, suddenly a light arose around him from heaven. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So he trembled and astonished and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, the Lord said to him, arise and go in the city and you'll be, and you'll be told what you must do. Many who journeyed with him were stood speechless, hearing the voice, but not seeing anyone. Saul arose to the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they had led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. He was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank food. So Saul reached a threshold that Pharaoh had reached, and Saul went too far. And now Messiah intervenes. We're going to fix this. You went too far. We're going to blind you temporarily and go through a learning curve that you should have gotten years ago. So Saul, the uphill climb was the wrong climb, wasn't it? It was a wrong direction. He, went, he wasn't just a climb, a, battle to, a hill to battle. He was supposed to back down, to humble himself. He did not. In Pharaoh's case, Pharaoh was not humbling himself initially, and refused to do so throughout the first half of his plagues until God strengthened him and made sure he still didn't humble himself. Which brings you the question of why was Saul allowed to humble himself and Pharaoh not? Why was Saul allowed to say, okay, I went too far. God said, I'm not going to kill you for it, even though you killed a lot of people already. I'm not going to kill you for it. We're going to just correct your train of thought, your thought process. But Pharaoh, no, you're going to die. Make sure Pharaoh dies. Uh, Ann, you had your hand up? Well, God made him a vessel unto the nations, and, and he even told him when, when he, I think that was it, when he fell to the ground in that, I think God explained it there. You know, I, I don't know, I didn't see it in chapter 8 there. God tells Saul. Saul. It explains to Saul, Saul in chapter 9. Yeah, oops, your yeah. name will be Paul. Right, right, right. So he, he's going to be a vessel of honor, but Pharaoh's going to be a vessel of dishonor and destruction. Right. Uh, it, it's, hard, it's hard to understand that, that God can do that, but he has, he's the potter and we're the clay. And he can do with us what he wants. And as long as you're willing to be that person, willing to be that individual. Let's pretend for a minute that Pharaoh was not willing to be the Pharaoh of the Ten Plagues. 
Would we know about him? No. We wouldn't know about him. Wouldn't know his name, nothing about him. You know, Bob the Pharaoh got replaced by his younger brother, Steve. <laughs> we now know Steve. <laughs> Whoever's not willing to fill that role, they don't fill the role. God finds somebody else who will fill the role. The role still has to be filled. There are certain uh, sins, so to speak, that are, that are grievous sins. We know them in modern-day history. Of course, obviously, the sins, for example, of Mao or Hitler or Stalin. Those are very severe murderers, mass quantity murderers. It's what they did for existence. The answer says, well, did they repent? I have no idea. Would God accept their repentance? Honestly, I don't know. But it would, it would not surprise me if he would not. There are certain grievances that are so severe that God may say, you know what? It would be unjust if I accepted your repentance. Yes. Yeah, I would submit that Pharaoh is in that same category because you'll probably go over this in a moment, but when the hail, kind of interesting, um, Pharaoh's response to the hail is probably the first time where you see any sense of repentance whatsoever. Right. I and my people are the guilty ones. We see the pattern of what happens later on where he says, I've sinned this time, the Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the guilty ones. And one of the things that they were guilty of is genocide in the way that Paul or Saul was not. Right. The, 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 the extremeness was not there. I mean, yeah, Paul persecuted people, and yep. some of those people may have ended up being you know, executed, yep. right? Yep. But, um, which is wrong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, but, you know, what that Pharaoh did, what this particular Pharaoh did, in terms of telling the people to throw all the boys into the Nile and killing them, no, that's well, genocide. His father. Yeah. And just it, like what you were asking about earlier, like Stalin and Hitler, all these people mm-hmm. that we consider mass genocide, yeah. mass yeah. genocide, that, mm-hmm. you know, well, I could, you know, so you see that God doesn't supernaturally intervene to change the course of Pharaoh. He has right. already, he's already committed genocide. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the penalties are already existence. Yeah. He's already murdering people in the process. And that, that's what he does. And he had been murdering from his own free will for years leading up to this point. And this has been a, yeah, it went before him as well. Yeah, exactly. All, all the people of Egypt, his servants were willing to, will assist him in processing the people and making sure that they die I mean, properly. the midwives were a minority. Yep, yep, yep. So there's, the, the sequence of events was already going through in the storyline. So we had a, the character of Pharaoh wasn't different. He, as you point out, he had moments of remorse. I'm not sure if that's the remorse of the same kind of when a criminal gets caught. Yeah, the remorse, the fact that he got caught as opposed to actually doing the crime, I'm not positive. More, my, I'm more inclined to think it's because he got caught. Is the kind of remorse Pharaoh expre- expresses here. But there are certain sins, certain transgressions, which God does not apparently allow or, I'm not saying all of them, but allow certain amounts of repentance. He just says no. And you have to ask yourself and point out, okay, if I was one of the victims or my whole family, or my whole town were the victims. Would I say, God, it was so just of you to, re- to, 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 to forgive this man for doing these bad things? That would be a hard thing for me as a human to do. Okay, well, there's, we question yeah. God, where, where is justice lie? And God, of course, wants to decide who he forgives and who he does not. That is his decision. Uh, somebody's hand was, uh, what, uh, somebody's on the phone. Daniel, this yes, is my- go oh, ahead. Sorry. Diane, can I? Yes. When you're talking about um, 
those people that committed uh, when genocide and did all those terrible and evil things. And that what popped into my mind, and I'm not sure, you know, um, you know, when Jesus, when they were hanging on the cross, you know, one of the thieves said, what is this man done? You know, it's in Luke 23, I've, I've got that, that particular one pulled up. He's, he hasn't done anything wrong and, and that, and uh, he said to Jesus, uh, that was in verse 41. I've just paraphrased it a little bit to not, uh, but then in verse 42 of Luke 23 says, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. I truly believe, and you're right, all forgiveness is up to Hashem. It's all up to God. I mean, he's in charge. We and that he's sovereign in that. But it, I'm thinking if someone is really sincerely, sincerely, genuinely sorry, even that terrible thief that was hanging on the cross, and we don't know the extent of his life and that, or what he, things he did or didn't do, God said, this day thou shalt be with me, the King James. This day you will be with me in paradise. He saw the motive of that thief's heart. I'm not trying to contradict anybody. Oh, no, that's that not a contradiction. Really you, you have you, Thank so, you. You, we, 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 that's where we get our, our, our point our thresholds so there's there's a threshold which someone reaches that I've, I've gone too far i'm at a point which i am i i i i, I either won't willing to go back or i've gone too far on my resisting or fighting against what was doing right going against what going against what was right continuously we have examples of individuals who've made the decisions who went too far and a saw course was a godly man the form he knew the Torah inside and out very well. He knew the prophets. He knew what was right and wrong. He responded accordingly to what he thought was doing right. It just turned out he was not. Uh, Larry, your comment was? He was serving God. Right, he thought he was. He was right. erroneous, not, not evil. Right. In the case of Pharaoh, he did not believe he was serving the God of Israel. He thought he was serving his own personal interests, the interests of Egypt, which is an opposite, an opposite uh, side, of th side of things, which brings us to our last character. Yes. Uh, I can't help... We keep thinking about uh, also what went on in Babylon, the enslavement, the captivity. It was a coexistence, like in Egypt. He kind of wanted them there. I, I don't know what the details were. Maybe they were the better silversmith. He was obviously benefiting from it. And so he wanted them there. But that's, that's far different than uh, genocide. It is different. So in the case, yeah, you're absolutely right. So the case of, of, of the Babylonian kings, they weren't trying to mass murder the people, unlike Pharaoh. They weren't enslaved them either. They weren't mass slavery. Yeah, they may have been servants to some degree, but for the most part, they weren't. They lived their own lives in this new location. That was their methodology of how they interacted with people. It wasn't the goal was to kill everybody off. You will note that kings are kings only if there are people to rule. If there's no one to rule, you're not a king of anything. So it's the king's best interest to have people to rule. If you have no people, are you a king? No. So if you enslave everybody or kill them all off, are you a king? No. You're a murderer, but you're not a king. Don't, don't, don't charge anything. So you have to have people to rule. So it's not the king's interest. They realize that economically speaking or morally, I don't really know about Nebuchadnezzar necessarily or the ones preceding him or the ones following him, but they knew that they needed king, they needed cohesiveness amongst the different nations. So mass execution, mass genocide was not the objective. It was not going to gain them anything. Although Nebuchadnezzar came really, really close to it when he conquered Egypt. He almost killed all the Egyptians off. He was pretty mad at them. But even then, he still just arrested large percentages of them, brought them out, I think it was a 40-year span, before they were allowed to go back again. 
So even then, he didn't actually necessarily kill them. He just evacuated their cities and left them with nothing and left just empty, empty houses. Um, it wasn't necessarily a mass genocide, but that was the middle of a battle. He was, he was mad at them. Anyhow, but that, that was another story as far as resistance. The last character which I want to talk about, which is where we get our answer as far as where that threshold comes from, uh, is, of course, the most, one of the most famous prophets there were, Elijah. During Elijah's story, when he had with Ahab such, and Jezebel, and the altar got burned up, and all the Baal prophets and such, and Jezebel's response, what was Jezebel's response? What was it? She was going to kill him before the, night, before the next day was through. And he fled. Do you know what happened when he fled? He ran. He ran all the way down, all the way past out of Israel, through Judah, to the southern of Judah, back to the mountain of God, where Moses was. The original Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, hanging out there and found a small cave and dwelled. He said, God, kill me now. This isn't worth it. I can't win this battle. It's bigger than me. And God's response. Remember his response. First of all, there was massive earthquakes, massive wind, massive fire. His response was, Elijah's response and God's response, he's not in those things. So we ask in a case with Pharaoh, the massive plagues here I went through, God caused them, was God in them? No, wasn't in them. When the struggles with Saul and the, and the church he was arresting, that he was fighting against God. Now, God, in this case, Messiah actually caused the blindness. Was Messiah in the blindness? No, he just caused it. The power of God isn't necessarily in the struggle. It's that he can cause the struggle. Where is the power of God? In Elijah's concluding statement, with a still small voice. That's where God's at. So if I'm struggling, I'm uphill battle, and deciding, okay, am I fighting against God? Or am I doing his will? Well, where is he? In the still small voice. He's not in the battle. He's not in the hill I'm climbing. It's the still small voice where he's in. That was Elijah's conclusion. So ask yourself that. At what point am I battling like Pharaoh, hardening my heart? I'm going to fight this hill, I'm going to complete an attack, this, this difficulty, this struggle. Versus, no, I'm not. The answer's in that still small voice. It says, something's wrong. Something isn't quite right. This isn't working the way I thought it should. I'm doing something off. That's the still small voice. That's the point you realize something's wrong. It's not to run away. It's not to flee and hide and cower. No, it's okay, I'm here. Something is not right. I can't fix it. I'm going to fix it. But the still small voice is there. I'm walking forward. I don't have a better solution. Pharaoh had a better solution. He could have relented. Saul finds a better solution. He does relent. The men who were arrested, as I mentioned earlier, 
but the high priest arrested them, threw them in prison. It was bigger than them, but God opened the door, and they walked out. So the still small voice doesn't say, don't move forward. It just tells you where God is. It's that point where something isn't right. We call it our spirit. You notice something, is, something isn't right about the situation. This isn't making sense to me. Something's off. Pause and go find the still small voice. Does that make sense? That's what we're being taught. Was Pharaoh looking for a still small voice? Not at all. What was he looking for? Crushing power. The genocide people we also bring up about earlier. Were they listening to a still small voice? Midwives were. The midwives listened to still small voice. They saw the big power in front of them and said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep it nice and quiet and subtly do what makes more sense. It's those little subtle things that your still small voice controls. Any questions about this? Talk about a Torah portion today. Yes, Larry. <coughs> Would that be conscience? In, in, in a modern day vernacular, you could argue it's conscience. Because your conscience is, is I granted, okay, I'm not a psychologist, so forgive me on this. I'm going to butcher this terribly. But <laughs> the conscious principle is that you are aware of something. You are aware of something. Well, who filled the awareness? Well, ideally, God did. That's the goal. He filled your awareness. So if you are aware, then you're aware of what? Aware of what he taught you, which was supposed to be our, 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 our instructions for life, right? What, what, what we're taught. If you have the conscience to your awareness, what's right and wrong, awareness what is good and what is not good, that should be your governing component. Something's, something's off here. There's a reason why Jeff and I, we read our Torah portion, even though we've read it, I don't know how many, dozens of times, and then we go talk about something else. In the, in, in, in whether it's in, 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 the, in, the, in the New Testament or in the prophets or whatever, we, talk about, so we, we, we guide the something else because the Torah portion gives you your, your foundation, your conscience. Stop. This is the perspective you should have when talking about this topic. So read the entire Torah portion, or at least most of it. This is the, this is the perspective you put on. This is the glasses you put on. And now let's go address your difficult situation or whatever topic you wish to discuss. If you don't have the right glasses on, don't have your foundation set, you go anywhere in the sun and come up with really screwy ideas and become Pharaoh yourself unintentionally because you didn't put your foundation on your foundation wasn't strong wasn't set first that's important to do so our conscience is filled with our torah our instructions of this is what is right that's what's wrong this is what is right that's what's wrong if that's set exploring details about every other nuance of life is easy you won't be misled you won't go off in some bird's nest or some bird walk which, unfortunately, many people do. They do go off on bird walks. That's not their goal. God is a consistent God. So that still small voice should be filled with a conscience of what God told you is right and told you is wrong. Does that make sense? All right, I know you're all tired. Let's a portion. Yeah, I ended 15 minutes early. Good for me. All right, I know you're all tired. Rear ends are sore. All right, <laughs> nobody online? All right, we'll go ahead and conclude with a, uh, with, with a closing prayer then. Almighty God, our great Heavenly Father, thank you for, your, for our Shabbat, a day of rest, a day of peace and praise, and 
so that we can focus our attention upon you and upon our lives that you have given to us to live. Let me ask you to grant us to always listen to your voice, however strong or weak it may be, that we know that that is the voice we are to listen to, that that is our, our guide, our instruction for life and how to live, to avoid falling into our pitfalls of self, self-will. Father, we ask you to bless us the balance of our time. We praise you and ask your kindness be upon us, Father, as we trust you throughout our lives. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.